Welcome to Redemption Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. We are still, just like before, uh, we're still in our, our vision series together. This week, we're going to focus on the final part of our gospel DNA, which is gospel uh, mission. Uh, the way we've lined out things in this series is just to really simply show, we've repeated it a lot, hopefully so to land, is the DNA that we have is really the plan for how to accomplish our vision. It's the how to our why. So the vision that we've talked about heavily the last couple of weeks and, and really talked about off and on throughout the time of planting the church, Redemption's Hill, our vision is we exist to glorify God through lives changed by the gospel. That's our aim. That's our hope. That's our touchdown. That's why we exist here and now in Columbia, Missouri. So that means that we didn't start Redemption Hill because we thought it would be cool if there was two Acts 29 churches in Columbia. And, and we didn't start uh, Redemption Hill also because we thought, uh, hey, we're going to fix things that other people are doing wrong. We started Redemption Hill because there was a desire to see God glorified through lives changed and transformed by the gospel of our Lord. So, so we wanted a part in that to see God glorified. Now, this may take a little bit of reverse engineering, but we have to ask a little bit of a question. What type of life desires to see other lives transformed by the gospel? What type of life desires to see God glorified through that type of thing? And, and that's really not a trick question. We just have to line that out. The answer is a life that has itself been changed. It's only a transformed life by the gospel that wants other lives to be transformed themselves. So in our vision statement, we don't mean that we only want uh, people who are already saved or already in the faith to be the ones who are living these changed lives. We want new lives, new people to come into the faith and glorify God as well. People who are formerly far off to come in and be saved. We want those who are lost in their sin, just like we were before, to be saved and experience the grace and the mercy of Jesus. This means that the heartbeat of our vision was missional long ago. We didn't decide to like, hey, move in two years and be like, hey, there's this buzzword called mission now. We should add it. It, it was there all along, the, the whole time we wanted to be missional. So these DNA elements that we're covering and that we want embedded in all that we do have been gospel message. We covered that two weeks ago. Uh, gospel community, we covered that last week and evidently I almost covered it again now. Uh, and then gospel mission. So we've discussed these three and how they come from our theology. Another aspect that I want us to understand, if you notice, we've tried to put a little bit of a, a nugget with the gospel DNA each week. Last week is this: is it comes from our theology. This week, what we really want to look at is the three of these gospel elements, gospel message, community, and gospel mission. They work together, but if you pull one out from the mix, things get really messed up really, really fast. So the gospel message, it's what keeps us, it's what we walk in, uh, it, it's what we continually need, it's what we were saved by. But what happens if we deprioritize that out of the three-piece DNA? What happens if we begin to deprioritize gospel message and we become those who focus on gospel community and gospel mission instead? Well, what happens then is we lose Christianity. It is completely off the table. It means we turn into a civic club. Uh, we turn into a support group, a self-help group. And often, if you really look around our culture, when you take the gospel out, we really quickly turn into a political movement. 
You don't have to look too hard to see that happening all around us. The power to change, the power to be saved, the power to be transformed, and the power to be healthy are all gone. The metrics for how to live are all gone. The, The metrics of what to focus are all gone if we take the gospel out. So if we take the gospel out of that three-piece equation, we became a a, a ship without a rudder. We're aimlessly afloat, easily swayed by the cultural waves of the time, the cultural moves, the fads, the the things that people are talking about a lot. If the gospel is gone, we're going to move along with those instead of the historical truth of what Jesus has done. But what if we lose gospel mission? What if we pull that piece out of the, the equation and we keep gospel message and gospel community? Well, if we do that, we lose our purpose. We lose our drive. We have to understand, we exist to glorify God, but that glorifying of God doesn't just exist in us. If if a church pulls out gospel mission, what you see a lot is there's a lot of events and a lot of meals and a lot of groups and a lot of systems and a lot of amenities and a lot of things that they're doing, but they do not share life with anyone who's not like them. And this kind of church slowly turns into a group of codependents. They depend on each other, but do nothing outside of each other. And what's interesting about this type of of group is they're always together, but here's the inside little secret about them. They're always annoyed by each other as well, right? They become bitter really quickly. They become needy. They become hyper-judgmental inside the castle where they're always bumping into each other and nobody else. This is the type of ship that has no sail, right? It will float, sure, but it's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere that it needs to go, at least. And the third option would be to lose community while holding on to gospel message and gospel mission. You pull that piece out, and you have a really big problem. All the options when you pull one out are dangerous. This one is the one that we see massive problems in our modern day, though. Because when people begin to be missional with the gospel but do it all alone, they become mercenaries. They fight alone, and they fight their own way by their own terms, doing their own thing, and they're never truly known. There is no accountability. There is no people gospeling them in the Christian walk. There's no people encouraging them. And in that spot of aloneness, we see massive cycles of personal failure. We need to be really honest about this. And I've been clear with people. I do not feel the need to chase every headline. That's not our job. But we do need to pay attention to a couple. Look at really the troubling thing that we saw with Ravi Zacharias apologetics master, um, breaking down scripture to the skeptic in ways that just people, other people couldn't seem to be able to, to do. Uh, always going around, always on mission from city to city, gathering things in the most liberal places and hostile environments to the gospel. He was going in and sharing with massive crowds, but, w- but what was he doing? He was sharing the gospel on mission with massive crowds, but he was doing it all alone. Never a part of a church, never a part of accountability, never a part of community, And what do we find? And we're not glorifying this. We just need to be honest about the history. Massive, massive, massive moral failures for a long, long, long time. You see, when a person walks alone, their sin is unchallenged. It goes unchecked. And here's the really dirty cycle of the way you and I work. When our sin goes unchallenged, we validate that sin by the work of mission. Yeah, I know I'm doing that, but look at this. And look at these people that I'm sharing the gospel with. And look at the things that, that we're doing. We begin to balance things out and we justify what we're doing thinking, you know, it's really okay because look at the fruit. And just because God can make good things out of what you're doing doesn't mean what you're doing is okay. This is a ship with no captain. 
hear me, for you and me, it's headed for a really big crash. And the problem is that crash isn't just going to hurt you. It's going to hurt people around you really, really, really bad. Right? So we get really in a bad spot when we end up pulling one of these elements out of who we are. Why, why are we bringing this up? Because we want to together be accountable to watching if one of these elements are being neglected. We are Elder Rand, but we want to be member informed and we want to speak together. If you see one of these going down, to not post on Facebook about it, but to come and share with the people around you. Be like, hey man, I'm worried about this. I see that this one is, is not happening. And, and us going to our 10-year anniversary, it's a really good time to just step back and go, hey, cards on the table. Let's just look and see how we're doing right now and readjust if we need to. What have we seen in our history over 10 years? At times we have swung to missional and then community and we lose the other. And missional and community, we don't want to do that. So we want to be honest about where we're at and how we're walking. This would be a great topic to talk about with people in your MC, maybe even your DNA, because we want to be honest about how we are and understand that if one of them are falling behind, it can go really bad, really, really bad. So the path that, that we hope to see through these DNA elements, gospel message, gospel community, and gospel mission, is the three things embody who we are as followers of Christ, right? Uh, we are saturated with the gospel message, while living among other believers in gospel community and being sent out on Christ's mission. This is what a Christian is. Uh, the, the path of that, of, of being in the gospel amongst community and out on mission means that this idea of an isolated, privatized, me and Jesus alone and just us, and I'm fine because I got Jesus in my Bible alone, that type of mindset really has to be laid down and die in order to walk out the fullness of who Christ truly calls us to be in the gospel, to embrace it well. Before we dive into the details of scripture and the evidence for gospel message, so to make sure this again isn't opinion, it's theological, we want to examine maybe our current faith paradigm by asking a question, how big is the gospel to you right now? Just in your heart, how, how big, like how powerful, how massive is it? When you think of the gospel, how big are the implications? Is the gospel big enough to save a person if they weigh the checks and balances and go, yeah, I guess I'll deal with you, Jesus. Sure, come on in. Is that how big the gospel is? You can invite Jesus into your life on your terms and, and, and then it saves you? Or is the gospel big enough that it saves you even when you're firmly in rebellion against God? Is it, is it that big? Is the gospel big enough to, to save you even when you're against God and then bring you into his family? Or is it still bigger? Is the gospel the fact that God is making all things new through Jesus? See, how, how big is it? We need to wrestle with that because I think we've lost the fact of how big the gospel is. For a long time, our modern personal focus on faith has maybe backfired on us a little bit. And we need to, we, we've talked a lot with different people lately. We need to step back and understand some of our privatized faith things that we do right now that we feel like are normal. In the realm of history, they're very young and they're very weird. So this idea of taking seriously your personal faith, especially in the realm of, of, of spiritual disciplines, yes and amen, that's a great thing. But here's the problem. If you spend too much time alone with yourself and personal disciplines and you're only looking at yourself, the danger is that you miss the bigger thing that God is doing outside of you. You miss the bigger picture that he's not just trying to make you be the person who didn't do the things that the old you did before. He's trying to do something greater than that. He's ushering in a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. Soul by soul by soul, one person at a time, Christ is taking back all that Satan has stole from God in the fall. 
This means that Christ is renewing and recreating and restoring what is broken. Our world dominated by death and sin and shame and pain and evil. Jesus is pressing into the darkness and one person at a time taking it back. And he's renewing what looked like it was lost by his marvelous light one soul at a time. When you were saved, you were one part. And the next person is, is one part. And he goes and he's breaking into the darkness. Luke 4, 18 through 19 says this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set, uh, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When Jesus began his earthly ministry, this is one of the first things that he said. He goes to a synagogue, unrolls a scroll from Isaiah 61. We need to understand that. The New Testament church had the Bible. He, he, he goes, finds Isaiah 61, unrolls it, and he begins to read it. But what is Jesus doing as, he read, as he's reading? Is he just taking a time slot of sharing? No, what Jesus was doing, and this word is really important for today, he's declaring something. He's declaring that the Old Testament was about him. The, the Spirit was upon Christ to proclaim the good news. That verse in Isaiah was pointing to what Jesus was doing now. He was there to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recover sight to the blind, to liberate those who were oppressed. Christ was there to recreate and begin to free a broken creation. He's going, hey, all of that old stuff that you heard about, I'm here to do that. I'm, de- I'm not saying, hey, do you think I'm the one? I'm declaring, I'm the one. That was about me. He's reversing the order of a broken creation through himself. So what we need to understand is the gospel isn't just saying, that's why I asked how big is your faith paradigm. The gospel isn't just saying that you need to believe and accept the gospel in order to be saved. The gospel is an announcement instead that Christ has come. Follow me, the gospel isn't a series of facts to memorize. It isn't just a set of, of, of beliefs of the best practice of how to live in the world. The gospel is first and foremost a declaration, Jesus came. It's telling people what has happened. My King Jesus came and that changes everything. He's come for all who have need of him. He's come to defeat sin and death and he did that in me and he can do that in you. I'm not saying, hey, like maybe possibly, Jesus came. You understand the difference? Ray Ortlund, a pastor, Uh, in Nashville. He's turned over his uh, church and retired now, but he had a mantra that he declared um, with his people, and they they said it all the time, and it was just a regular thing that they did, but it it really helped them to be able to understand how do I speak or declare the gospel to the people around us, and it was this little saying, and it has three moves to it. The first move is this, I'm a complete idiot. Move one, done. Move two, my future is incredibly bright. Done. Three, anyone can get in on this. Hear that. What what were they doing? It's their playful but theologically spot-on way of sharing what is true. It's declaring what is true. Despite my sin, there's hope. I'm a complete idiot. I'm lost because of my sin. I messed up in my sin. That's how I was. But despite that, despite what sin has done, Jesus has come and has done the impossible in my place. He's made a way to reconcile me to God. And that same beauty that he did for me, he can do for you. You can get in on this right now. Jesus is available now. 
What I love about that mantra is it reminds us the gospel is news. Friends, we have been on our heels for way too long. And we forget it's a declaration of what is true and what has happened. The gospel isn't fiction. It isn't wishful thinking. It's not statistical data. It's not history that should just be in some textbook. It is the life-changing news of Jesus' coming. I wonder if your heart needs to be reminded of that. And I think minded even as I prep the sermon. Hear this. Even as we're talking about evangelism, Christians are not purveyors of crummy products. We're not sleazy car salesmen selling broken cars and hoping the world doesn't notice. We aren't begging people to agree with us, going, oh, please, please, please see the world that I do. Please, please, please think Jesus is cool and fun and would be a good addition to your life. That's not what we do. We say Jesus came, and his coming has changed me already, and it can change you too. The reality is take it or leave it, but I'm not going, if maybe you might think that's true, it happened. The beauty of this, it can change you too. No payment necessary. No resume required. No perfection on your part needed because Jesus does that. This is the beauty. We're declaring something that has happened. And if the gospel is a declaration, then the next step is to see that we're called to be the newscasters just declaring this news. 2 Corinthians five seventeen through 20. It says this, Therefore, if anyone key right there. Anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Hear this, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 